Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hello and welcome back for another special analysis episode of the storyteller Violent Delights. And bar something really dramatic happening, this will be the last I promise I don't deliberately say this is the end and I know it's not. I genuinely didn't know if this conversation could happen or not because my guest has been busy away filming and fully immersed in a role. Yes, it is award-winning actor Kate Dickey. From Red Road to Hollywood, she's got almost as many IMDb entries than the late great Sir Sean Connery. That's a true fact. She has 91, Sean has three more. You'll have seen her on the big and small screens in Game of Thrones, Star Wars, Prometheus, Peaky Blinders and many others. And she has nine new projects being released in the near future. Not only is she an amazing actor, she's a thoroughly fantastic human being with a huge heart, a passion for storytelling, and in particular, giving women a voice. Well, lucky for me, she was a fan of the first series, The Storyteller, Murder Most Foul. And I jumped around with joy in my PJs during lockdown when she agreed via Twitter to be the voice of Sheila Garvey. As an actor, she's not someone who just delivers lines. She likes to get to know her character, and this was no exception, as you'll hear. I invited her on now for a chat because I was dying to hear how she felt about Sheila after hearing the full story from all those involved. And we had not discussed it until this conversation. So once again, get the kettle on, because this is a long one. I'm absolutely delighted to be speaking now to Kate Dickey, the voice of Sheila Garvey, who I, I, I've i already expressed, I think, at the end of every episode, how honoured and touched I was that you, you took on her voice. But I think people might be interested to know how that came about and, and how yeah you and I connected in the beginning, which is we actually met physically, but at an awards thing where you don't really get to chat to someone 500 years ago I think <laughs> yeah it feels like 500 years ago yeah I remember Kenny and me meeting you I think it was uh, um one of the BAFTA awards um it does feel like many months ago but we came home that night and we were just like Isla 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 we thought you were just so cool and we we remember sitting with you and having such a good laugh and yeah it was a really nice connection and then actually how we've now reconnected is because I basically was a fan of your first series of the storyteller, uh, Murder Most Foul, and I was really taken by your very f- like sensitive and very factual way of reporting. Um, and and how you really brought like Melanie as a person out of of what was just a terrible awful murder you know and um it wasn't a story I'd been familiar with so I got to know Melanie's story through you and I think I tweeted about it quite a few times just saying oh wow this series you know Isla's an amazing reporter and 
I, I loved your style and so that's how we connected so when you approached me about doing a voice for Sheila I felt that um I didn't actually think twice about it because I knew that I trusted your reporting and I knew that if you were telling another woman's story that you were be looking at you know the facts and looking beyond what can be quite at the time salacious headlines and you know what we would now call clickbait but at the time you know there was a lot of um it's appears there was a lot of kind of uh furore about the whole kind of you know more um dark and kind of uh sordid side that max got sheila involved in so yeah that's a, a long way around of me saying that yeah i basically started off as a fan of you isla and um yeah it was really uh, an honor to be involved in violent delights it really was well this is a real mutual appreciation society because I've been a big fan of you for a long time and I remember when your tweet came through I'm like oh my god Kate Dickey's just tweet and I told Susan I'm like Kate Dickey's just tweeted about murder most foul Susan of course being the mother of Melanie as I'm sure listeners will know but and Susan's story as well was one that touched you and that was I mean the reason for me as well as it being the first case that I ever did and one that had troubled me was Melanie as a person, had just not been present in that story. It was, yeah. uh, it was yeah. literally name, age, occupation, and then yeah. a, and then a, a a photo. I think it was a passport photo that they put up, which you know, um, and I felt there there was more. I knew more about her, um, obviously from covering the story, and I wanted to just dig deeper. But also, I I had this knowledge of Susan. I knew where Susan was at, all these years later. I knew it was something that still bothered her and it was really important to me. So I'm so grateful that you listened to Murder Most Foul oh. and were a champion of it. And oh. and you're right, when I text when I texted you, I was like, um, or sorry, it was on Twitter, I was like, um, in, in private messages, I'm like, would you do this? And you came back immediately and you just said, I don't think you even knew anything about it, you're just like, yes. Yeah, <laughs> so, it was and a, then, yeah, it was a yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, I had to explain that uh, I don't get paid to do this and I can't pay you anything. And, and uh, I hate asking anyone, particularly in the arts, to do anything for free, which we often do. Um, and I was, you know, I'm as I say, I was so touched that you had to, and during COVID, you had to go to the effort. You went away to a cinema, oh, is that right, well, to record actually, it? Well, actually, I mean, you know, if I'd had more time... I probably would have worked on like an accent for Sheila and you know but in a short time and also with Covid I was kind of going to just put it on in like my bedroom where I am now but we can have like a really meowing cat and there was like uh, roadworks going on outside and so I ended up um, being able to go to the theatre at the CCA because Kenny, my partner, is the technical manager there. And so I was like, please, can you know, is there a quiet space? So he was great. He got me a space. And um, yeah, because when, you know, you'd approach me about the voice and I'd said, yes, absolutely. When I actually looked at the story, I was like, oh, like Sheila deserves um some care and TLC and not just kind of throwing a voice down to, you know, do a favour. Um 
And like I said, if I'd had more time or it been, you know, out of COVID or we'd been able to, you know, work together, um, I would have tried to have maybe embodied her as a, a character as such. But my, uh, like, overriding thing was her story speaking the loudest and um, what had happened her experiences and I didn't want a distraction of maybe me not doing a good enough accent or trying to make her some kind of character when actually you know she was a a real live breathing person that these things happened to so um yeah I went and just recorded it as, as kind of plainly as I could um just to give her a voice and and like you I feel like I'm a, a storyteller as an actor and and I have a a, a a kind of duty as an actor to tell stories and and not always stories that are easy to listen to you know um so that was kind of how I approached it and why I approached it the way I did which was kind of trying to keep it quite plain um, because it, when I looked at it you know there was talk of her not being emotional at the trial and keeping herself very together and so I felt it would be wrong to try and dramatise something that was already dramatic enough and it's very sad details and I I would like to point out as well I specifically said that I didn't want you to burden yourself with trying to do an accent I really didn't feel it was important do you know what was more important you captured her essence which you did so beautifully the only people that would know that you didn't have the correct Scottish accent for that area is the people in Scotland listening and again I don't think anyone cares because what you did uh, in portraying her was so incredible and also I'd love the listener to know that you know I, I, I said I first of all said could you read a few lines from the court transcript? And then that obviously grew a little bit. And then I sent it to you and I kept saying, if you don't have time, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. And when I got that text from you where you said, you said, the actor in me will not let me do this without knowing more. I want to get under her skin. And that was just, oh, just warmed my soul. And then prompted us to have a, I don't know how long, two, three hour conversation was it about it? Yeah. And I told you everything. Yeah. And and so you did, you went in with the deep knowledge. Um but then, of course, it's it, as you're going through the, the process, is that there was a difference between the stage you're at when you're reading and then, of course, when you were then listening to the podcast, hearing all the other pieces of the jigsaw. But yeah. can I just focus on, on, on the pieces that I sent to you? Because they were powerful. I mean, even even her words in court, even her statement to the police, um, never mind the, the poetry that's in her book. What did you gleam of her character from reading her words? She was someone who was very aware of how that people perceived her, you know, and she it, it was almost like she was in to me anyway was in this like she held herself to she couldn't have won in the court trial if she'd portrayed a lot of emotion she would have probably been portrayed as someone who was being fake and and making it all about her and, and being this kind of, you know, attention-seeking. And so I really felt for her because a lot of it, you could see she deliberately kept herself very together and didn't 
let people in and I mean my overriding thing when I mean when you gave me you know when I first read you know and printed off what what you'd sent me to to say I was just like oh my goodness this is a this is like coercive control beyond belief to me and but what made me really sad was that's me as a woman in 2020 saying that. And unfortunately, in the 60s, 70s, you know, 80s, 90s, you know, and until very recently, coercive control and, and domestic abuse just haven't been either uh, understood or or taken seriously or, you know, judged so much. It's very hard. So many different layers in society of how women especially are, are portrayed and the language that's used around them and things. But back in the 60s, there was so much heat about the kind of... Uh, uh, you know the nudist colonies and the the threesomes and the foursomes and the the partners swapping and and at the 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 core of that to me was someone who'd been manipulated and kind of eroded and broken down to a point where she was doing things that she really didn't want to do but went along with then f I felt, find it hard to leave him because there was children involved that she loved very much. But also, if if you're so eroded and, and, and diminished, one, you don't believe that you're of any worth, uh, that you'll survive on your own. Um, you, then you've got, you know, the whole, um, like, money, power thing involved because Max was a wealthy man with connections. Um, so many aspects to diminish and keep someone manipulated and, gr and groomed. Um, and I, I'm not for a minute saying that, you know, the only way out was murder and that should have happened. But for, as I can imagine, a woman in that situation where you're so diminished, that maybe did feel like the only way out. And I know people would say, well, why not just walk away? Why not leave? And she did attempt to leave but the kids were still with them and, and she couldn't cope with leaving them and she wasn't strong enough mentally to leave them. Um, and, and, you know, in a coercive control situation, you're also isolated from the people who know you and would maybe have comments of like, look, this isn't normal behaviour and... You know, those flags, if you don't have that, if you have that support kind of gone from you and you're just in this situation that's just become your normality. I felt so many emotions for Sheila. Um, and, yeah, I just felt, by looking at the transcripts and looking at the book extracts, that she just was a woman trapped in a kind of hell had been forced into this relationship with Brian Tevendale, which then developed into a real love.
and then to have that kind of yeah it just was so many aspects um and I'm rambling here but it's hard isn't it to no no but you're right it's I mean every time I talk about this case I ramble because there are so many layers it is so complicated and all all the details the devil is in the detail all the details are relevant and important because they create the the picture and there's so many things I want to pick up on on what you said there. I think I'd like to if you reverse back a little bit to the when you were talking about the court case and um you know the judgments and I think you're right. She would have been judged as um you know acting up or being hysterical because that's how women act. And I think um one of the interviewees actually really beautifully put it she said as a woman if you're a criminal you're either mad or bad. And in this case, you know, Sheila was not regarded as mad bad. so she must be bad. Yeah, but that's that's it. And they're not considering what about her being a victim? And this is the thing that, you know, I think got ignored and I'm trying to, to highlight. And again, everyone is, no one is saying that uh, murder was the answer, but actually she had very, very few options. How did you feel when you discovered that the doctor had, once she finally confided in her doctor, the true reason of why she needed the sleeping tablets and what had been going on, and only when she'd actually been physically assaulted, went to him and then finally revealed about the nabans of Max, his sexual perversions. And the first thing he did was call Max up. How did that make you feel? Oh, it's just, again, that way of, of someone in that time, in that period of having no way exit or uh, that doesn't then end up going back to, to Max, you know, the kind of connections that he had where you just would feel so betrayed you know and how difficult how difficult it would have been to say those words and and to you know confess you know the truth of of what's going on and for it just to go back to max you're just like just devastated because if if Sheila had received the right help and an understanding of of the situation she, which she was in, which to me clearly is domestic abuse, grooming, coercive control, but there was no words for that then, and 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 not even until very recently in the last five ten years, I would say has society and and started to have a proper understanding of what grooming and 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 that kind of coercive control where i mean the thing is it, it did involve violence as well it wasn't you know mental abuse and 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 you know manipulating only it was also physical and it just wasn't it just wasn't recognized and and if there'd been those kind of things in place like you know those flags or victim support or you know women's you know aid that she could have got pointed in the direction to and had the support to leave max and take the children who knows i mean it's difficult because, you know, the, the, the love she had for Brian Tevendale was very real as well. And she talked, you know, about that she would love him all her life and that she still loved him now. And when she was questioned in court about, you know, still having 
sexual relationships with them. She was very clear in the fact that she was in love with them and she would protect them. Um, so, uh, so many layers, um, and certainly not a case of mad or bad, you know, um, and, and, you know, and maybe because I'm looking at it back in time, I, I sound very, um, and I don't mean to be as if I'm like, yes, and I believe that murder was the answer. I don't mean that, but I can see why it would feel like that if the one time you try and reach out and speak out to, the, say, the doctor and you're betrayed or... You know, if you're told by someone that you really mean nothing and your opinion means nothing and, you know, I'm sure she was told she, she wouldn't survive if she left and th those kind of manipulations, yeah, she must have felt very trapped. The criminal behavioural analyst that I spoke to, she said actually there was a number of people that were complicit in this story and that's so true, the doctor, the, the police officers, some of them, you know, well, the, the local Bobby that tried to persuade her to go back, the hotel manager, her, even her family. And it was all like, it was almost the opposite. The support was all the other way. It's pushing them back to the, back to the abuser. Do you think, though, even though we're talking 2020 and we're able to look back and have a perspective of that, but I still think there are some people listening who still can't place them just as human beings and seeing victim and abuser, and it's still it's still kind of in the negative towards Sheila because that was the times and that's what you did. Do you think there's still a lack of sympathy towards someone like her because it happened at that point in time? Um, I think, um, you know, I think things in society are, are slowly changing for women. But I think, you know, there's a long way to go and I think there always is a different language and a different talk about women and how they're portrayed in, in media and you know you go back to witch hunts and you know there is still witch hunts that go on they just go on in kind of social media now and you know there's always a gladiator ring in society it just changes shape you know and at, at the moment now it's on you know social media and that kind of arena um, there's something about women and, and, you know, there was a lot made of Sheila's beauty as well. And I was thinking about that today, thinking, you know, if, if, if Sheila and Max hadn't appeared so glamorous and, you know, would there have been the same interests if there'd been a couple that had been living down the road and, you know, I just, there's this, fascination still with beauty and I totally agree with you there about the beauty aspect and I even had a problem with it myself because I was was also mentioning her appearance but the reason it was important it was her appearance was the reason why people were so fascinated it's almost like the princess Diana effect as well there was this fascination with her because of the way she looked and and Sheila actually had a similar kind of obviously way before princess Diana's time but the similar kind of look that the the you know, the, her, her face and her hair and everything. Um, I think you're right. I absolutely love the way you describe that, the gladiator ring. Wow. Yeah, that is yeah. so on point for, you know, and it's, tw it's, twi it's Twitter nowadays instead of the... But the newspapers definitely were. And the thing that I think so interesting 
which also ties in with the beauty aspect. When you see the photographs of those crowds, it is unbelievable. It is. It looks like a football crowd that has just poured out of a stadium. There's a sea of heads. And anyone who's been to Aberdeen or seen photos of it, you would just never get that. And I, as a journalist, and I was speaking to someone else in, in the industry, you know, um, crime journalism, and we, we couldn't really come up with something that we could think of that didn't involve, you know, Michael Jackson's trial. Yes, but that's because it was Michael Jackson and in America. But there was, there's nothing like that that's been here before that attracted that attention that stopped the, the, the farmer's wives from doing their chores that day because they had to read the papers first and they were all eating up. So I think human beings and our... our our fascination with other people's downfall, sadly, is obviously part of us, but it, it was exactly the same then as it is now. We've just got a lot more of it and it's a lot more accessible. So there's some things we, you know, don't care so much what about. What happens then is the real topic or issue then gets lost because the headlines are talking about, you know, the beauty or talking about you know, what Sheila wore to court or how well she was turned out or the hairstyle or, you know, all that. And and what's not then getting talked about in the headlines is the, you know, I mean, what Max was, you know, getting, how he introduced the nudist camps and the the beaches and then the pornography and that was getting sent and he was ordered in the pornography and this slow erosion of of kind of self-worth that she had and this kind of happy dream of her kind of happy ever after it just turned into this very dark um abusive horrible horrible life it sounds um i'd actually had a cry today when i listened again to her mum's letter to her it just just made me cry because it was just so sad you know that last letter that was opened when her mum passed away and just that mother's letter to a daughter um, and the love that she had for her and I just thought oh this whole thing is just tragic it is and also in the newspapers not once is there any wording or language used to acknowledge the fact that she was an abused woman it just I mean it was it was portrayed as being shocking and being pushed naked into a bedroom but there wasn't any anything that was actually portraying sympathy or this is really wrong against this woman and this is you know a, a terrible thing which is again what's why she she had the, the 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 negative kind of focused on her there wasn't a language for that kind of um coercive control as we'll say now there wasn't it wasn't it, it, i don't even know if people would have thought about it as much you know or whether the media and the headlines kind of propelled the the story down a certain way, but I just feel in general it's been a long time in coming to understand just how much kind of grooming can go on in that kind of abuse, you know, and and it doesn't always have to be the, what you think abuse will look like and even for the victim not realising that actually they've been 
a, a, a abusive relationship until it's too late or maybe not seeing it because it, things have become so normalised. So it, it's just much bigger and much more um complicated than it being mad or bad. That's what I took from it and when I first read it and I just thought, <gasps> yeah, I, I have to... um sort of help you tell that story, you know. You touched on something there, which I think is important. Do you think that Sheila actually knew that she was a victim? See, that's what I, I, I mean. I don't know if she... I mean, I know that she'll have known that she wouldn't have wanted to do a lot of these things. And, you know, she wasn't comfortable, obviously, with a lot of the sexual stuff that went on and the manipulation of different sexual uh, situations, either with other people or what they did. But I'm sure there will have also been a lot of, like, blaming herself as well and then feeling bad of, well, how do I explain? How do I explain to people how I've got into this situation? You know, how do you explain something like that? So there's there's a very clever way when people like um like Max who are coercively manipulating a situation all the time that they'll make he'll have made her feel like a lot of this was her fault or that she's been part of it all or that you know somehow you know she's you know manipulated her you know it, just such a clever way of manipulating that she, I, I'm sure a lot of it is then f- c- covered in shame of 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 being embarrassed that you're in that situation and, and how do you say to a family and your parents or, or your friends, how do you talk about that? And then how do you talk about it if you've tried with your doctor and then been betrayed... It's almost like, you know, it, it, you know, the things that you've worried about would come true if you spoke about them actually did, which is you're somehow still in that situation with the same things happening and, and no one helping you. There's more to come. Bear with us for a short ad break. I'm not expecting you to remember anything verbatim, but were there any... Um pieces that you read, her words that really touched you? Yeah, I mean, there's so much of it struck chords with me. Um, I'm trying to think of any in particular. It was more like, um, it, it was more like as it started happening, like the things she would talk about with the pornography being sent and the being made to go to the nude, you know, and just this kind of life, like her kind of life being sapped out of her and because we are looking at it, you know, looking at the trial and looking at the material from afar, you can see it playing out and it just just made me sad. And as I said, her mum's letter today just broke me because there was also a lot of pain and blame and... You know, this kind of situation creates a lot of victims, a lot of people feeling like 
they could have done something different or they should have done something different or why did they do this or why? You, you know, I'm sure everyone, I mean, Brian, you know, questioning what on earth he ended up doing and, and Alan and, you know, and then thinking about the children and the damage to them, you know, Wendy and her siblings and it just so many ripple effects um it just fills me with much sadness and her and her mother actually did acknowledge in her words i do remember them she said you were never bad never so at least her mother at least had that acknowledgement i think one of the passages for me was actually i think the final point which was you know it isn't until you have strayed um, from what you should have been, what you could have been, etc. Um, basically, that you can learn to you learn to have compassion, learn to open your heart and your eyes to other people's circumstances, and never to judge, never to judge until you're in those shoes. And then the 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 horrible irony of that is that is what happened to her entire life, even when um, you know she was an old lady with Alzheimer's, and the staff were incre- incredibly compassionate. No one gossiped about her or anything, but. There was still a curiosity. Ooh, how could this woman have done that? You know, it's, there's a there was a curiosity there of still this. She she became an enigma. I think. Um, it's uh, I mean, her her whole life story is uh, the the reason why I'm now going to be fingers crossed turning into a drama is I think it is a really important thing for people to. I wanted people to think, and I wanted people who were in their glass houses to suddenly go, oh, okay. And this is why I said at the beginning, you're going to change your mind over and over again. And you will. And they flip flop throughout the whole thing. Oh, no, this person's the bad. This person's bad. And actually, what we need to think is look upon, turn the gaze upon the gladiator ring and ourselves and say, like, OK, who are we to judge? Have we been in their shoes? Have you ever been a victim of abuse? Do you know how difficult it is to leave? It is not a case of just walking out the door. And it's not a case of it even being obvious that it is abuse, you know, like you know, that kind of slow erosion could be dressed up as in, you know, like, oh, just, you know, uh, let me know where you are and I'll pick you up from your night out with your friends just so I make sure you get home safely or something. And it could start off, I don't know, you know, like dressed up as if, oh, I'm I'm the person who really loves you and cares for you and, and, and would, you know, get up at two in the morning and drive to where you are and bring you home. However that could be a beautiful thing in a healthy, wonderful relationship. But in a coercive relationship, that's how it begins, you know, at the beginning, is it's dressed up as in, like, I love you so much, I do these, you know. And then, you know, so a slow thing. So until it's bad, would you look around and go, how on earth did I get to the point where, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not going to think about different examples that people must go through, but it's it's just not as black and white as going, oh, you know, I've been hit, you know, hit and things. It's just a lot more manipulative than that to the point of, you know, if it's reached violence or or some sort of very, very disturbing behaviour. Um, and back then, not knowing the vocabulary of, of saying what's happening to you, or then people, uh, uh, you know, much more situation than if people were like, you just put up and got on with things, you know, and 
so put up and shut up wasn't it that was the yeah put up and shut up and you know I just think it's 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 difficult of course she would cling to you know her love for Brian and and feeling like you know he was her happiness and her her savior um learning of the fact that um she you know said that she had hoped that she would see him once he was out of jail and he you know many years later had said that he had also had the same hope but I think she'd found out that he maybe had some sort of female pen pal but did you feel sadness that they never met again they never had a conversation they were never able to you know not not that you could ever draw a line on it but it 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 felt like there was just that it was just left open there they said goodbye of course when they when they parted not knowing that three months later the the love would end, um, which I think actually was potentially a part part manipulation there that she was told that he'd so he was going to sell their love letters and he didn't they never they were never sold so he didn't do that, um, but then also there was the side of you can completely understand if there's any threat to her you're not going to see your children if you continue communicating of course what are you going to do, but sorry back to my question was well did you did you feel a bit sad for them that they didn't get to meet again. Just as just even as two human beings who'd be both been puppets to this puppeteer, and what had happened to them? Yeah, and and just really sad that such a terrible, terrible incident had taken place, and someone got murdered, and actually by the end, like, you know, they didn't. It wasn't like you know they kept in contact and reconnected. It just. It just, I just think, do you look back in your life and go, what, why did, how did we get to a point where that seemed like the only way out, you know? Sad for everyone, and as I, I think, as I said, you know, it's for the victims, that, you know, the, the, basically for all those living, the guilty and the innocent, there was no positive outcome. And actually, though, but what we do forget is that this entire, this entire web that involved all these people the person at the centre of it, the person controlling it, the person manipulating it, which led to this ripple effect out, was was Max. And again, not to, you know, speak ill of the dead, but he was uh, a, a controlling person, an abusive person, and took pleasure in other people's fear and pain, etc. And you know, how how important is this kind of storytelling to you, for you know, knowing that there might be people listening that could identify with this. Um, I, I think it's so important to um, tell these stories because, like I said, if, if you know, for some people um, in a coercive situation may not realise they are or, you know, be able to identify, like, certain things or traits or... You know, I just think hearing a story that that could be your story, um, is is a really important thing to do. Um, if only for hoping that, you know, people would feel encouraged or to maybe have the, the courage to be able to see if you know, because there are wonderful organisations and there are wonderful support groups out there um, and a lot more understanding from people about situations like this. Um, 
and I, yeah I just think um it, it, it would hopefully make people not feel so alone and not feel like like uh, this is my fault somehow that I've got into a situation like this because it's done in such a a eroding small quiet way it can just be a normality and and it takes an outside eye or someone to go that's not normal behavior or that's not good or you know um and for a lot of people that are in situations that are coercive they've been isolated from their friends and family and people that it would would say you know would see that and that and again that's what happens when someone manipulates a situation just so that you don't have that support network around you so hearing maybe a podcast like this or you know being able to recognize behavior traits um could be really helpful i hope for some people and I wanted to just uh, end on asking you a bit more of a. I I know that you're a pod you're a podcast listener and you like listening because obviously when you're acting there's you have long periods of time in between scenes and that's often when you'll be listening to something. But also, um, you know, from your perspective, I think that acting is so crucial to storytelling. Um, I think sometimes people don't like to learn lessons from documentaries or books. They don't like being preached to. But if you can watch something and be gently swept up in someone else's life and and have empathy then that's a very, very clever way of then having an understanding of someone who's different to you. And I think in the same way, I think there's something about podcasts, because it's so in-depth, there's something about the intimacy of being in the ears as well, that people are, are really invested in them emotionally and, you know, all the people who write to me. I just think it's such a... And my, my whole career has been in television news and documentaries and kind of a shorter form of, of, you know, storytelling, which never was enough for me. So I love this way, but... For you, for you, what what do you what do you like most about these kind of long form podcasts? Or I loved, I like to call mine an audio documentary. <laughs> yeah, I mean exactly that, and I think it goes back to like honestly, like our whole culture as humans is based on storytelling. It's how you learn about life. It's how you've been had skills passed down. It's how you know, when we were wee and you'd have power cuts and, you know, like my dad would be like, okay, get the candles on, like tell stories. And, um, you know, there's something about podcasts but in your ear. It makes it this very personal, um, oh, I don't know. I get a lot of comfort and like, I don't sleep well. So, um, I'll use podcasts or, you know, things like that to help me get to sleep. But yeah, I feel it. it's, there's something, um, yeah, an audio documentary, I guess, that you can just have in your ears. And also you don't then have to be sat in one room, you know, in a certain sort of situation. You can take, you know, take your podcast out and go walks with it. You can go to sleep with it. You can be on a train. You can be on a bus. So it it's just such a, brilliant kind of mobile storytelling thing and and such a great way of of hearing about different human stories and and also opening and broadening your mind in so many ways so 
for me, I'm like a wee sponge. Well, um, I'm glad you're a fan, and <laughs> uh, I'm a very big fan, as you know. Um, yeah, and I just think, you know, thank you as a listener, and I'm sure like uh, other listeners will feel the same. Like, thank you for, you know, all your efforts and time to, sort of elevate Sheila and Melanie's stories and let us as listeners find out about these women and find out about either um, not knowing anything at all about them or only knowing about the headlines. And it's really important to amplify the voices of these two women and, you know, cheers. You know, it's been wonderful sort of coming along in this journey with you and i mean this sincerely i could not have told sheila's story without you i mean that um i'm so grateful um because it did it did add i, I was a bit conscious at the beginning of this that so many people were dead i'm like oh how am i going to do this i did do a little bit of reading out in the last one but it was just for a, a small bit in court which i was able to do and i was making obvious like i'm just going to read out what she said but for this i felt it was so important and then and then when you said yes, I was just so I th- thank you from the bottom of my heart because your contribution, as I say, has been so oh, crucial and so important. So I'm thank you. And you've yeah, I mean, I could listen to you all day because you've got an amazing voice to listen to. You really do. Um, and I also wanted to say I thought um, all the other actors or people that you've used for voices were brilliant, um, really good. Um, in the different court trial and the different tones and textures. And I think that you've done an amazing job of kind of bringing that all together. And and like I said, when I listened to um, Sheila's mum's letter again, uh, the woman doing her voice, it just, yeah, it just touched me very much. I ended up sort of sobbing in the kitchen. Um, but yeah, I thought everyone was wonderful that you, you, involved and I thought you put it together really well and thank you I should mention that uh, a, a lot of the the voice actors um quite a few of them have the surname Traquair <laughs> oh yeah my my great. yeah my 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 dad my dad is uh Lionel oh, Dykes and great. um yeah my my one of my brothers one of my brothers is uh Ewan Stewart but I want to actually I would like to pay a special tribute to the woman who is the voice of Sheila's mother um, she's an angel in my life. Um, her name's Eleanor Murray, and she's actually my, a very dear, dear friend to to my parents. And she's been an absolute godsend when my mum's been unwell, and she looks after my parents' dogs. She walks them every day, so she's an angel. And when I asked her to do it, because um, I just thought her voice would be perfect. Oh, her and, voice uh, is fantastic. She she did it in like one take, and I'm like, that's perfect. She's like, are you sure? And I'm like, that that was perfect. But oh, she's got the yeah. You know, beautiful and natural, yeah, yeah, and that and the letter, the letter just broke me, and I thought, wow, that you know, she's amazing because it was just such a lovely natural quality, and it didn't feel like, you know, there was too much acting as such going on. It was like people lending their voices to give your 
story, uh, 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 like a, a more texture, and I thought everyone did really well in doing that. Um, but yeah, Eleanor was great. <laughs> She's great. Cry. She'll be she'll be really chuffed to hear that. She made me well, cry. Yeah. <laughs> you made me cry when I heard. Oh, I told you that when, when you cry. when you sent <laughs> that audio through the first time, and I think I was out like, walking my dog, listening to her somewhere. I can't remember. You just sent it, and I was like, oh my god, and I messaged you immediately, going, oh my god, this is just I'm in tears so yeah. oh, well as as you know as an actor when I listen to it, of course I say oh I wish oh I wish I'd had oh I wish I'd done um but um yeah as I said it was a real honor just to be involved in telling Sheila's story and um yeah thank you again and thank you for speaking to me today I'm sure the listeners will love hearing your perspective on it I certainly have Aww. and uh and and one of the best things that's come out of this for me is a friendship with you. Yeah, <laughs> we do. We, we have, now have this lovely, have lovely connection. A, we do. And actually, I'm not going to tell, but we now have a kind of, like, shall we say, like a secret seven club. We won't talk about the name because it's secret, but it does involve you, me and your doggy. So um, <laughs> I am loving... <laughs> being part of our little club <laughs> and um, only me and you know the password at the shed door so um, yeah no that I've loved that as well um, it's been really yeah. nice connecting we have a very similar um, sense of humour and outlook in life and yeah, yeah, that's we're, been we're great. pretty sick. Yes, <laughs> we have a sick, sick sense of humour, but we have huge Definitely. hearts. We have huge hearts, and I think, I think that's why we connected. So, yeah. Kate, thank you. I know everyone's going to fall in love with you even more oh, hearing I you today. Know. So, thanks a lot. But no, it's been lovely chatting <laughs> to you. Take care. <laughs> Isn't she just lovely? And it was so, so special for her to give her time and talent to this podcast and again for the conversation today. Now, Kate mentioned in there the other voices and I thought I'd take this opportunity to give them all a mention. As you know, this was recorded during COVID. So it involved people from Scotland and England lending their voices and having to imagine the other person replying to them, which isn't easy. None of them are actors, although I'm sure some of them might fancy it now. I'll start off with The Other Accused. The voice of Brian Tevendale was by David Nicholson. The voice of Alan Peters was by Ruri Laidlaw. Edith Watson, Sheila's mother, was Eleanor Murray. Trudy Burse was by Deborah Fowler. Fred Burse was by David Harris. One of my big brothers, Douglas, he was the prosecutor, Ewan Stewart QC. Defending Sheila, Lionel Dykes QC, was my father, Ian Traquair. An old colleague of mine, David Marsland, was the voice of Dr. R. Taylor defending Alan Peters. And last but not least was Judge Lord Thompson by one of my old teachers, Bill Nicholson. And I think he was absolutely fantastic. So thank you to all of them who lent their time and their voices to this project. I could not have done it without them. I'm sure you'd have all been thoroughly bored listening to me trying to impersonate all these people. So I really am so grateful. And thank you again, the listeners. Thank you for your support. Thank you for going on and doing reviews and rating this podcast it makes such a difference if you haven't already please please just take that little bit of time it makes such a difference and hopefully i can keep telling more stories for now though from me goodbye and take care If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. 
CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.